0: This is Choni's Circle.
1: I'm Tamar Labicki. I'm Rabbi
0: Paula Rose.
1: And on Choni's Circle,
0: we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change, to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment, um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. Today we're gonna look at three different texts, but I promise they're short, so hopefully this will still be bite-sized enough to listen to. And all three of these texts center on the relationship that we have with God as a provider of sustenance for us. And the first two are actually two different blessings connected to food. The first is the blessing of nefashot, which is the blessing that we say after eating certain kinds of food, foods that are generally considered in and of themselves not a full meal. So in that case, we offer what's actually just a very short blessing. Which is, blessed are you, Adonai our God, ruler of the universe, Bore Nefashot Rabot Al Lahayot Bahem Nefesh Baruch haolamim. And so we praise God as creating many living beings with the things that they lack for everything that God has created to sustain life in each of them. Blessed is the one who is the life of all worlds or who lives for eternity. But what I think is really striking about this is that we actually praise God not just for feeding us, but for creating us in a state that we are dependent on food, right? Theoretically, right? God can do anything. God could have created creatures that don't have this ongoing need every single day for new energy input, right? That could somehow be more self-sustaining. But we actually offer blessing, not just for the food, but for the lack that God has created us with. And let's maybe do the next text too, um, and then we can talk about it. So this is also from a blessing after food. This is from Birkat Hamazon, which is the blessing after eating bread or eating a fuller meal. And in that we say that for everything, Adonai our God. We thank you and bless you. And then we quote a verse from the Torah where we say, as it is written, when you have eaten and are satisfied, you will bless. You'll bless the Lord your God for the good land that God has given you, and then we offer that blessing, blessed are you, Adonai, al Ha'aretz al Hamazon, for the land and for the food. In this case, the land clearly being the secondary source of the food, right? Primarily from God through the land and then into food that we consume. And in that text, we don't have the same language of lack, but have that same theme of offering blessing for being dependent on God every single day and praising God as the source of food. Should we look at one more text and we'll talk about all three of them? Okay, so the last text is actually also from our liturgy but not specifically for a blessing over food. It comes from the Ashrei, which we say three times a day and we praise God by saying the eyes of all look expectantly towards you, God, and you give them their food at its proper time. And then we continue saying, You open your hand and satisfy the desire that is for food for every living being. And so again, like a really cornerstone part of the Jewish liturgy is about praising God as a source of food, not just for people, but actually for all of creation.
1: I really appreciated noticing that we're talking about all animals here, not just human beings. And it's very interesting, especially that we bring it into the Borei Nifashot prayer, that we're expressing our own gratitude for having enjoyed our food or eaten our food, but then we mention all the other animals.
0: Yeah, there's something really sweet about that. It almost feels like maybe we're offering it on their behalf too. Or maybe just an awareness that actually like when it comes to food, we're kind of just like every other animal. Our need for daily sustenance, I mean the things we eat might be different, (laughs) but that that is actually not necessarily a part of the human condition. It's a part of the created condition.
1: Right. Yeah, and one more thing I thought of is because borene fechot can be said on meat, like if you just ate meat by itself, you'd be saying borene fechot. So you are actually eating flesh of an animal that ate something else. So you're participating at that time in, like, this food chain that's alluded to here, I think.
0: Yeah, that's that's really striking. I had never thought about that before. And actually interesting when then you compare it to Birkat Hamazon, right, where you figure that the, that the primary thing that that blessing is being offered over is bread.
1: Mm.
0: And there, like, the blessing is actually much more about the land, which makes sense, right, like that that is where the wheat or other grains are growing out of. So it's interesting that those blessings are different in that way. I'd never thought about that before.
1: Right. Which just randomly brings to mind Pharaoh's dreams about the skinny cows eating the fat cows and the skinny sheaves of wheat eating the fat sheaves of wheat. So there is within our text this very interesting acknowledgement of where our food comes from and eating animals, eating from the land, but ultimately how it all comes back to the land and to the water cycle.
0: Yeah, um, and ultimately how it all comes from God, right? Like however many steps removed the food that we find in our refrigerator might feel. From that, I think these blessings actually serve a really important reminder that regardless of like what the thing is that we're eating and where it came from and if we even know where it came from, it's a really important reminder to us, I think, that it does have a source, and that source ultimately, or penultimately ultimately perhaps comes from nature and ultimately comes from the divine.
1: Right, which I think is really beautifully put in Asherah, I feel like Judaism always has a very ambivalent relationship about personifying God, giving God human qualities, but... It is a very good poetic technique, like just having this vision of this hand coming down, <laughs> opening this hand that was closed, opening, and all living beings are satisfied.
0: Yeah. Um, no, it's a, it's a really beautiful image. And I think it also offers like a little bit of potentially a, attention or a challenge to us of a caution about a sense of entitlement. I think there's something really powerful about these texts offering the promise of enough food. There is a deep comfort and promise inherent in these texts that God provides sustenance and we can rely on that and there will be enough sustenance. And that's beautiful and important, especially in situations where people are encountering food scarcity or are nervous about food scarcity. But I think it can also be a little bit of a challenge in times of abundance where we might feel like we're somehow entitled to whatever we want, right? Like God ensures that all of our needs are met. Well, what are our needs, right? If if our imagining of like what it means to be sustained is like this image of bounty and plenty and everybody having what they need, it may be, I mean, I don't think it should, but I think it can tempt us to remove some of our own sense of responsibility and accountability around our food choices because um, it's sort of easy to be like, well, like, look, we're supposed to have what we need.
1: Right, but it can also remove our sense of gratitude and awe at what we receive. And I was reminded of another, I don't remember where this comes from in the Torah, but you might have describing all of the children of Israel as like, a person who grows fat
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and kicks. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm not sure what that metaphor was intended to mean, but I always think of it as um, meaning, like once you have too much, you start to become arrogant and you start to lose that sense of connection with the
0: divine and the sense
1: of connection with
0: the land. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's exactly what that metaphor is getting at, of like, you know, maybe there is such a thing as being too comfortable, actually. <laughs> and if we grow complacent and, and forget, right, I think one of the things actually that this liturgy has the power to do is even actually in situations where there's abundance, and thank God for abundance, right, like it's a beautiful blessing to actually not be worrying about where one's next meal is going to come from. I think these texts offer an opportunity for keeping us grounded and saying like, no, right? It might be really tempting to be like, I have whatever I need and I can have whatever I want. And these texts remind us that no, like actually that is a blessing and it is tenuous and and it's not really in our hands. So I think you had brought these texts because you had
1: been thinking about the opposite of what these blessings are evoking, this idea that some people don't have enough food to um,
0: eat. Yeah, in particular, I was thinking about these texts a lot recently after having read something in the New York Times about reduction to SNAP benefits. And I think it's a really like a painful dichotomy to live with, actually, that we like have these texts that offer the comfort and promise of a god who makes sure that no one, human or animal, goes hungry, and the reality that that actually isn't always what we encounter around us. And I think made especially painful by the fact that in some ways that's on us. (laughs) You know, I think often about like these texts are coming out of a different time and place where Farming was more localized. There wasn't really like a global food supply chain. So like if you had one bad season, one bad harvest, that could be really scary. That could cause a lot of death, quite frankly. And we now live in a world where we know we have actually enough food to feed everybody. Our relationship with sustenance is actually less tenuous because we have because we have different kinds of technology to store food, to ship food, refrigeration, right? All of those are actually huge things that give us the power to like bring these prophecies to fruition, to actually live in a world where this is true. And yet we still live in a world that has a lot of food insecurity. And so, I wonder if these blessings can like provide us not just the comfort of that image of God taking care of us, but also like a challenge that actually like this is our responsibility. Like this is what the world is supposed to look like and that we actually have a role in bringing that about.
1: Right. And I think this is especially important with climate change because... Places in the world that had been self-sufficient and could easily feed themselves from their own farms locally are now unable to do so because of droughts often. Yeah. Um, And we do, yeah, as you said, we have the amount of food we need to feed all humans on the planet, and we have the logistical ability to actually get the food to those places. Now it's just... The political will, really.
0: Yeah. But you're right. It is about the political will. And hopefully, like learning these texts can help us generate that will, right, in ourselves and also to advocate for that more broadly.
1: Right. And I think because each of our texts in our tradition is so rich, this idea of 70 faces to the Torah, it's kind of amazing how. This is part of our daily liturgy, right? Each of these things we could be seeing every single day. Mm -hmm. And yet, I have never thought of it from that perspective. Like, this is what we want to achieve. And now we have to actually go out and And do do it. it. Yeah.
0: I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the associate rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group.
1: Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Lebicki Feldman.
0: Thanks for listening and learning with us.